You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. All right, I am here. Aaron's here. Tom is in. The show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Before um, I allow you to celebrate, um, you've been waiting for the day, uh, you've been waiting for Ernie to be fired for years, I did want to just mention that um, we got a lot of feedback on the conversation yesterday with Tim Legler, and I appreciated a lot of it. And some of you were really, really interested and in, in found Tim's push to be recognized as a potential coaching candidate or front office candidate um, as very interesting and compelling, and others of you found it to be, uh, you know, not something that you wanted to listen to. You just wanted his thoughts on Grunfeld and the Wizards and the position. That's the great thing about a podcast. (laughs) You don't have to, like on radio, sit there through the first 25, 30 minutes of an interview, and we had Tim on for a long time, and I appreciate that. Um, because he's always generous with his time. And I actually mentioned to somebody yesterday who said, do you think he's really serious? And I said, here's what I know about Tim Legler, because everybody that knows him says the same thing. He is of high intellect, and he works his ass off, and he's highly competitive. And I think he's just at that point in his life where he's thinking to himself, I should be coaching somewhere or I should be running a team somewhere. And you get to that point where he is, I'm guessing in his early fifties. And it's like, if he doesn't make the move now, it'll never happen. Yeah. You know, but he is qualified. But the, when I say qualified, I believe that he would be phenomenal as a coach, as a college coach in particular. I know a lot of guys that coached against him on the AAU circuit and they, Tim was known as a very good basketball coach. Um, and I, that's why I've always enjoyed having him on the show. Even the show we did together, we always had Tim on because I don't think personally there's anybody that analyzes an NBA game better than Tim. And I know why I feel that way. It's because I know that he's current. He coaches. Like he's, he's coaching this stuff every day and sees it. And a lot of the guys that are analysts – you know, if they played, it was many years ago. They weren't sort of that kind of person to to, to think in the way a coach thinks anyway. But anyway, that that's beside the point. Uh, if you didn't, if you enjoyed it, great. If you didn't enjoy it, you just fast forward to the parts <laughs> that you want. But yes, I am serious about thinking that he would be a very good coach and probably a terrific front office guy as well, but it will take teams or athletic departments to think outside the box, you know, sort of in the same way that John Lynch got hired in San Francisco, right out of the broadcast booth and into the general manager's position with no experience in running an NFL front office. It would take you know, people to think that way. And, you know, Tim made the point, and it's true, these executive search firms, that's not the way they're thinking. They're looking for resumes. Yeah. They're looking for, you know, bona fide resumes and records so that when they recommend somebody, um, there's not a lot of risk in the recommendation. But anyway, for those of you that enjoyed it, I, I enjoyed it. I know it was long, um, but I enjoyed it. He was very passionate about it. Um, and you know, we did get around to talking basketball and I'll, you know, I'll have him on before the NBA. And let me just, let me just point out that, uh, I don't know if Tim could be a good coach or a good GM, 
But I do feel confident saying that he would be a better coach than the guy that coaches the Wizards now, and he certainly would be have been a better GM than the person who is now departed from that uh, position. So let's let's start there. Um, <laughs> I guess we're not starting there because we just talked about yesterday's interview. If you didn't hear the interview, listen to it if you get a, get a chance. I mean, I, I there were a lot of people, including friends of mine, who are in the basketball scene in town that texted me and said, wow, that was impressive. And, and somebody specifically said, Ted should just go listen to Tim Legler for 30 minutes, talk about you know how he would think about the job, um, because that's his interview right there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, this was a day that you have you know, begged for, for many years. Um, and you finally got it. So I guess my, my question to start, and we'll have a conversation about this is, you know, did it feel as good as you thought it would when it finally happened? Well, I don't know if you remember, but in the months leading up to this, I pointed out that we had gotten to the situation that Ted would eventually have to fire Ernie. That was going to happen. I mean, because it was inevitable. Yeah, because, I think we both had a sense that it was probably going to happen soon. Yeah, and, and, yeah. But, and but but I think the feeling, and I think there's a segment of the fan base that feels this way, when that happens, is a sense of anger, as well as being happy that he's not there anymore. Oh, uh, here's the column. Well, no, 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 no. That's not the column. It's not the column. No, but but oh, the is se- the column self-congratulatory? No, the column's not self-congratulatory. It's a column is reminding everybody about what this what this deceitful general manager did to some of his coaches while he was in Washington. <laughs> okay? That's the column. Oh, okay. But, right. But Eddie, Eddie is, Jordan in particular. And and and, and, Randy? Sa- and Flip Saunders. Oh, God rest his soul. Yeah, God rest his soul. He can't speak uh, on no, his own but, behalf. No, but but fortunately about this. for us, he spoke to us on our show he on did, 980. He once. did. He did. Okay. My point is there's a sense of anger, I think, at least with me, that when you say, look at Ted, you say, why did it take so long? Why did you waste eight years of your ownership doing this? Why stand up there and apologize now for, for, for not doing what should have been the first thing you did when you took over this franchise? Did anybody ask him that at the press conference oh, yesterday? I don't, I don't know. I mean, in the media in this town, I'm telling you, it is, it's, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. I'm embarrassed for my profession when I, I see some of these press conferences. I don't know what I, they asked. Them. I did not listen to the press conference. I read I re- some. Of I read some of the long-winded said. quotes from Ted yeah. with a lot of the corporate speak in it. Yeah, but he apologized. But he did. He apologized. Yeah, he yeah. He, he, he apologized. What? You know, my bad. You know, like Who like the you? player from uh, from Michigan State. My bad. Yeah, you're <laughs> embarrassed for the local media in these situations. Well, aren't... I mean, when you ask me, did they ask him that question? What do you think? I would probably guess that you know. I why do you think anyone just... asked him why did it take so long for you to come to this conclusion? The... You know what he said? He said this was not a cumulative Binary. effect. He said, "No, it's we didn't make the decision based on all the years he screwed up. Just this year." Yeah, I talked about that yesterday. That's 
utterly disingenuous. Yes. There is zero chance that last week when the Wizards were eliminated from the playoffs <laughs> that it occurred to him for the first time that maybe it wasn't working. I mean, seriously. You know, it's like the, the gambling stuff. He is one of these guys, he's so pompous, he is so fond of, of, of listening to himself speak, and he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, that to say that is insulting. Actually, and and I talked about it a little bit on the podcast yesterday. That that to to suggest that this wasn't cumulative, that somehow he just came to the decision because of the rough season. First of all, this is a this is the one season that you could look at and say, what are they going to do? They lost John Wall to a serious injury. They don't. They, they, I mean, when you lose your super max player and you don't qualify for the playoffs, that is one of the reasons. Well, you but know anyway. what? But wait, but but the point is, like you said, if you just took this season isolated by itself, yeah. You'd be able to explain the poor performance. That's what I'm saying. Yes, that's that's why yes. I'm saying it's totally disingenuous. Yes, because if you were just talking about you know uh, we the 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 corporate goals that we laid out before the season wins and playoffs and you know I'm sure a bunch of bunch of analytics in there as well, you would have said if we're looking just if you were so thrilled with the job that he had done through the end of the 2018 season. You wouldn't have fired him because of what happened this year. No. I mean, come on. I mean, so that's disingenuous. It's You're di- absolutely right. Well, it's also it's him because he's convinced that when he speaks, he can say something in a way that everyone will buy it. But they will. Well, come on. They not you're you're being you're being hard on your your people that you work with in the media and and that I work with in the media. I I I, I How many columnists the, in this town the question, over last 8 years wrote columns saying Ernie Grunfeld should be fired? What took you so long should have been a question. Yes. Absolutely should have been a okay. question and maybe it was asked. I I read the quotes that that I you know from I didn't read the entire transcript. I read some of the key quotes. Um I know that he thinks this is a very attractive job. Um in part because of him. You you did hear that part, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very attractive job because of very strong and visionary ownership. Yes, I know. Now we have agreed that Washington should be oh, a destination that. spot in the NBA. This is it, this is a great city to live in. Yes. Okay. If you're a young African American basketball player, it's a tremendous place to want to come to. The reason free agents didn't want to come here was because of the organization, not because of the location. But here, so I, I want you to to have your full say on Ernie. But you you just you brought up something right here that is sort of my big overall big takeaway on on any NBA opening. And it, this is a league that is so much different than any other sports league in that if you don't have a top five player, you can't win the championship. If you don't have a top five player and a top 15 player, you can't contend to get to the NBA Finals. And that's why Milwaukee, and, and Legler pointed this out yesterday, and I brought up Oklahoma City, these weren't destinations either. The winning has to come first before your place is a destination for a prized free agent. And the only way the winning can come first is if you get, and I would categorize it on some level this way, lucky. 
You know, that the Greek freak, you have no idea what he's really going to turn into. Right. And he's there available in the, the middle portion, you know, of the, of the first round. Uh, in, in the same way Kawhi Leonard was, you know, to, for San Antonio. And OKC, you know, in a couple of years got Durant, uh, Harden, and Westbrook. And if the Wizards had somehow stumbled, and you'll say it's because Ernie can't identify talent and he drafted poorly, if they had somehow stumbled along the way into, you know, Harden or Curry, and they had a chance to take Curry when they traded for Randy Foy and Mike Miller, um, or or, or a Compo or Leonard, that the, the the franchise would be in a much different place. So no matter who they hire, that person's going to have to end up figuring out a way to draft a top five player. It's really hard to predict that. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because, you, you, I mean, the, 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 when you miss, it sets your franchise back. I, it's not – well, when the, – the, it's the opportunity for teams that aren't natural destinations, meaning uh, a traditional market, a warm weather market, a tax haven state – um, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the, we know what we're talking about. We're talking about the Miamis and the LAs and, and you Boston. know, and, and, and with, with some tradition in, right. in Boston, if you're not one of those places, we've always said it, we've had this conversation for years. DC should be a great place for a free agent, great place to raise a family. As you mentioned for a young African American, a phenomenal town, it has basketball rich tradition, not at the pro level, but at the high school and at the college level in particular um it p- people love the sport in this town and it's a sleeping giant we've always felt that way about yeah. the wizards to a certain extent i think me more so than you um but the winning has to come first yes it has to yes it does i agree with you now yeah I- i've read a lot and and i heard from you a lot of you know uh backing backing the the truck slowly out of the driveway uh, instead of driving it forward over Ernie, I've read and heard a lot of backing the truck up instead saying, well, you know, he he did this and he did that. And, you know, they got get, to the playoffs get to a the, lot. Get to the point. Okay. My point is his record is, is, is indefensible. Right. And there are 12 guys in the league right now with a worse record. Right. And, right. and, and, and nobody should care about that. I, I didn't, I didn't about, ask you to care. You only care about the guy who's in charge of your team. His record is indefensible, but for me, what has always stuck in my in my throat was how he kneecapped two of his coaches. I mean, to me, the unforgivable sin for him was how he basically backstabbed two coaches who tried to change, who at least attempted to change the culture of this team. And one of and and in by doing one of these situations, I would say that Ernie Grunfeld is an unindicted co-conspirator. In the Gilbert Arenas gun incident, uh, you've always felt that way. I mean, have I ever really disagreed with you on that? I, I don't remember with, with respect to the coaches. Okay, but which uh, surprises me because you're a coach, and I don't understand why that wouldn't outrage you to the point where you just said it's it's unacceptable. My position for three, four years now, and I, I'm not going to let you turn it into something that it hasn't been for three or four years. I have said, to, going back three years, four years, when you and I were still doing a show, I'm fine if Ernie gets fired. His record sucks. He's had ample time to develop and build something better. 
But my position simultaneously has been, but don't think for a moment that all of these people that claim him to be the worst general manager in the sport, the worst general manager in the history of this organization, that that's true, because it's not. Ernie's not an incompetent basketball person. He's always been a middling, with the Wizards, a middling general manager, and I would always say to you, better have a much better solution. But in the last couple of years, I'm fine with it. I am totally fine with it. It's completely justified that he's gone. And it would have been justified three or four years ago that he's gone. All my, my one position that you've had a problem with and others have had a problem with is I'm just not going to sit here and tell you that Ernie Grunfeld doesn't know anything about basketball and somehow he's at the level that Vinny Serrato was, a total moronic incompetent. He's not. And no one in basketball would ever say that about Ernie Grunfeld. But Two things. One, what you're talking about in the way that some of these coaching situations evolved, not good. And two, and I, I, felt, I felt this way for a while, Ernie really just never hit on the character thing when it came to drafting or free agency for that matter. He was always too wowed by measurables and talent. Well, there is a quote, and I can't, I found it, and it'll be in my column but I, I can't uh, call it up right now, in a story where he's quoted directly that uh, basically he said, I'm going to paraphrase it, that uh, you know players are forgiven when they play well. And that's what he, that was his philosophy. Yeah, he was, he, he was too easy. Yeah. He was too much, he was too good of a guy, which I, I don't know if you feel the same way. I don't know. People said he's your friend on Twitter. I'm like, Ernie Grunfeld's not my friend. I don't know Ernie that well. You know, the only person in media that I know that actually has a, a, a relationship with Ernie is Scott Jackson. Scott's been friendly with Ernie forever. Have I had some conversations with Ernie off the air over the years every once in a while? Yes, but very few. Like, I have a much better relationship with somebody like Mike Shanahan than I've ever had with Ernie Grunfeld. I'm not backing him because he's a friend or something like that I do like him though I do think he is a good guy and I think he is I think he knows basketball like that's the part that's frustrated me is a bunch of people who don't watch any games ever they they'll they'll try to convince me that he's totally incompetent that's not true but Kevin Kevin, his record speaks for itself he had to go you understand the human nature of overreaction to something so unbelievable that's happening in front of their eyes that they can't believe it in Uh, other words you have people just stunned that he's still in the job so of course they're going to overstate and they're going to overreact as to how bad he is because they just can't fathom what they're seeing. I, That's human nature. I totally understand that. And on, on the podcast yesterday, when I said what I just said, which is people who don't even watch the the, 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 the team, that never watch a game, and they, they, they're, they're going to tell me that Ernie Grunfeld doesn't know anything about basketball, but I made the point, maybe they're not watching because of Ernie Grunfeld and because of the product that's been put out there. I, he... Look, he's gone. Okay. He deserved to go. Now they've they've got to make a good hire, but back to my original point on on the NBA, I don't know that it even matters. If you hire a decent basketball guy, now we just have to have the next Kawhi Leonard or the next Steph Curry be there well, you at gotta number get lucky. 5. You gotta and get and lucky. you got to pick him. 
Like you said, yeah. you have to you have to have some luck involved. Uh, Ernie uh, inherited Eddie, Eddie Jordan. I want to point that out. Yes, he, didn't he did. Hire Eddie Jordan. Uh, Eddie Jordan was at the point with Gilbert Arenas, who everyone who who Ernie had you know brought here as a free agent. Which, by the way, bringing him here as a free agent worked. Oh yeah, it worked to an extent. Yeah, I mean, but it, well, it, it, it was they became a, a playoff team. There was always a limited and he was a amount star, of success, and he was a star. But there was always a limited amount of success uh, with Gilbert. Uh, that was inevitable. Uh, and but but Gilbert was was not an, a rational human being. He he was he had some mental issues. Well, he flipped a coin to decide yeah. to come here. So I mean so. So Eddie Jordan trying to change the culture and, and trying to get Gilbert under control benched him. And then the next day he wasn't benched right. because Ernie Grunfeld told Eddie Jordan that you can't bench Gilbert Arenas. Yep. That, from that point on, Gilbert Arenas knew he was the most powerful guy in that building. If he wanted to have a, a teammate's car stolen, RG three, fine. If he wanted to put you know shit in some teammate's shoe, <laughs> yep. fine. If he wanted to bring guns in the locker room, who's going to stop me? I'm Gilbert Arenas. Here's what Eddie Jordan said in a in a story about coaching in the NBA a few years ago. It's not a fair fight, whether it's against the. Uh, uh, this is specifically about coaching in the NBA. It's not a fair fight whether it's against the bully or whoever, you want a fair fight. You don't want to fight the guy, and the guy behind you trips you up, and you didn't see him. A fair fight for me was when I could sit down with uh, A. Poland one-on-one, and I could tell him the state of the team and how I felt and my plan. That was a fair fight. That's when I felt good. That's when I felt everything was in place. But I didn't have it after a certain amount of years. I mean, we know yeah. he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's talking, talking about, about Ernie. Ernie. Now, sure. let's, now let's get to the other the other guy who said this on our show on the Sports Fix. Flip Saunders. On ESPN 980 because I asked him directly. Uh, Ernie, was in, Ernie had gone through the purge of the knuckleheads. You know, Nick Young, JaVale McGee, McGee. Andre Blotch. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I asked uh, Flip what he, you know, if, if he thought, was he supportive of that? There's what Flip Saunders said. I was a proponent from day one of changing that whole atmosphere. Day one. From the moment he arrived, he knew this place was a disaster. Okay. When I left and had meetings with Ted Leonsis, I pretty much said the same thing, that the team is not going to take any steps until you clean out some of that knuckleheads, the knucklehead factor, and get everyone more on the same page. It was Ted who told Ernie to get rid of the knuckleheads. And that didn't happen until Flip Saunders had a conversation with Ted on his way out, his, quote, exit interview. And remember, Flip Saunders was the guy who tried to do the same thing that Eddie Jordan did. He tried to bench Andre Blotch, you know, because he was, he was uncontrollable as well, and was told the next day that he was that he that he announced to the uh, media the next day, Blotch was not benched. It was an organizational decision. Right. To me, those two are the worst things that Ernie Grunfeld did, despite all the other mistakes that he made in picking talent. To me, this speaks to who he is, and and to me that, that to me that's that's bothersome. Um, 
Gino Oriema, the UConn women's coach, uh, there was an interview that I read yesterday, maybe the day before, and he said that coaches in this day and age are afraid of their players. It's it's a terrible situation. You know, they're they're afraid of their players. The players have so much control. Players can make accusations about coaching abuse, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they're impossible. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of these teams are impossible to coach. The players come entitled, coddled, the whole thing. And what you just described is a general manager who was afraid of his players in many ways. Like Ernie, now Ernie had something invested in those players. He yes. had made the decision on, you know, he was wowed by Blotch's talent and measurables, you know, and wow, second rounder, and this guy could be an NBA all-star. And so he didn't want to see his guy not continue to get the yeah. opportunities to, to grow in that way. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that's that's uh, that's a terrible position to put your coach in. You know, your knee, as you described, you're kneecapping your coach. It's the same thing that you know, happened to Mike Shanahan with RG3. Yes, it I mean, is. the owner basically kneecapped him and, 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 you, you, and took away his ability to, to coach Griffin. You've empowered the player yep. to feel like he, he runs the team. And what's what's always what always makes it even worse is when the owner and or general manager does that with a player that the rest of the locker room understands shouldn't be given that kind of latitude, whether it's playing time or, you know, the way his behavior, um, because then you lose the whole team, you know, on top of that. And that's, yeah. And I, I look, he's, he, he was far from perfect. He was, a, he was not a good general manager here. At the same time, the success that the organization had before he got here was much worse. Oh, I know that. Yes, I know. So I, I, I know that. But and but, I, but but I, I know what you're. I, you know what I'm going to say. Yes, because we've had this conversation before, <laughs> and in this town, what we settle for for success. I know, but the NBA is so unbelievable. I know you're right, and you know what? No one got more excited about the that first Beal Wall team that went to the postseason with. My guy Trevor Ariza on the team and Nene who played so well that year yeah, and in the did. postseason You're right. and, and they Nene went to Chicago was one of his good moves. Yeah. good deals. Well, yeah, because of what he got, what he yes. unloaded to get Nene, which was Nick Young and Javale McGee. Yes, um, but the um, you know I, I did think in 2014, you know, in, right, right, you know, five years ago, that we were on the verge of seeing a team that would be in the playoffs for the next ten years and would contend, depending on LeBron's presence, Eastern Conference or wherever, or retirement, would at some point contend for an Eastern Conference championship. I'm not saying they would win it, but they'd be in the Eastern Conference Finals. And again, like I asked Legler yesterday, and it's really an interesting conversation when it comes to the NBA, and you're, and if you're an owner or a general manager, you're running one of these teams, what are, what are realistic expectations? Like in the East in recent years, what were your realistic expectations? A title? No. No, but to make it to the Eastern Conference okay, Finals. Okay, so, but isn't that odd that your goal isn't to win a championship? Well, your goal is, you're real, you have your goal... And then you have your realistic goal. Okay. Well, the real I mean, what you hold people the account, real, you have the goal, and then you have what you hold people in accountable the, in for. In the NBA, for twenty four to twenty seven teams, they've got no chance, no chance of winning a championship. You're right. None. You're right. More than any other league, the NBA. Is oh, it's like that. totally different yes. than any other league. And over a seven game series, over the NBA playoffs, 
The best teams win. Best teams win, and in the NBA, the NBA is a game in which if you've got the best player or players, you're going to win. And let me just point out one other thing when it comes to Ernie selecting talent, and this speaks to the glorious playoff teams of Gilbert and Karan and uh, Jameson. Jameson. Uh, that that team was was a horrific defensive team. Awful. A hor- and and Awful. again, how we know even today in the NBA playoffs, you have to play defense. Yeah. Well, it's going this year is going to be interesting. Yeah, it will be. This this regular season's been interesting just because of the scoring. But um, no doubt. I mean, I and I I I want you to lecture me more because I'm I'm feeling <laughs> like you're letting me off the hook um, far far too easily, but. When he mentioned in 2006, I think it was, and the Wizards were headed towards you know the best record in the Eastern Conference at the All-Star break, if you recall, and then the injuries started to Karan right. and Gill and the whole thing, and they ended up you know going out meekly in the first round to Cleveland in six games, I think. That may have been the year they were swept. I forget. Remember, the first year they went to the playoffs with Larry Hughes and Arenas and that team, you know, they won a series over Chicago, and then they played Miami, the Shaquille O'Neal. Miami team, and they got swept in the Eastern Conference semifinals. But in that moment, given that it had been at that at that point, that was two thousand five. Oh, I was on it the Ernie been, Gravy train then. It had been since nineteen eighty two that they had even won a series. I'm with you then. But, but that team with Karan Gill, Jamison, um, you know, uh, Deshaun Stevenson, and everybody else. They were Brendan so Haywood. yeah. They were so bad defensively, and Ernie crowed about we would have been a fifty-win team. We may have been the number one seed in the East, but anybody watching that team knew that it wasn't a championship team because it was but so you see, bad. Not anyone did. I mean, maybe you did. I, re- I did. I remember feeling like, oh god, they're so bad defensively. Yes. They can't really go that far. But but. Remember, after years and years, and this has been one of my favorite teams, I grew up with all of those bullet teams, years and years of being totally irrelevant. I mean, the Clippers and the Bullets, the Clippers, Bullets slash Wizards, two worst organizations in the NBA, two of the worst organizations in all of sports, and then here you are, you're going to the playoffs you know, for four or five straight years. I understand that, and I was excited about that too, except I saw you know, early on, that you know, it, it was it was a bit of an it was an illusion. Remember too at the beginning, and maybe you know this is part of it. God, you're 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 you let me off the hook. But at the beginning, not only were they winning games, and then they won that playoff series against the Bulls with Gill's you know incredible game five shot in Chicago um, to win game five. But Ernie had just pulled off heist after heist. With trades, he had trade. You know, he had traded. He gotten rid of Kwame Brown for Karan Butler. I know that was a major league heist. He sent Stackhouse and Leitner um, to, to get Antoine Jameson. I mean, two horrible contracts, two players that weren't very good. And he got Jameson, and all of a sudden you had Butler, and he signed Gil, Gilbert Arenas, like just like that. A, an organization that couldn't win twenty five games ever, hadn't qualified for the playoffs in forever, hadn't won a series in 20-something years, it was looking like, wow, he turned it around. So, again, the, the body of work, 16 years, plenty of time to build something much better, and he never did. And and he was horrible at drafting. Horrible at drafting. Now, now you just pointed out the fire that he put out. 
But as we know, he was an arsonist fireman. He was, but he had some help. And you're right about the coaching stuff. He did have some help on that Gill contract in that fire. And the help came from the owner. I get that. But, but, Poland. but you know, when you read, I, and I wrote this years ago, when you read Ernie's bio in the Wizards media guide and you read about him crowing about signing Gilbert Arenas, I didn't see A. Poland's name in that bio. What, the original signing or the, the the extension? The original signing. Yeah, the original signing's fine. That's that's fair. But you know, and Abe knew he had a limited time left, and he didn't want to reboot. Right. He didn't want to reboot, and he told Ernie, "We're not rebooting. We got to we got to bring Gil back." I'm maybe maybe he wanted it too, but I think at that point, even Ernie thought that Gil had a few loose screws. Maybe. I don't know. Look, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna rake you over to coals. I want you to. I, I don't because again, you were you were right on this. Okay, when I was still supportive of Ernie, obviously I was proven wrong because he never got the team over the hump. But it's not like over the la- that I've been defending him here in recent years. My only ca- the only case I can make it's it's a weak one is to just push back on the people that think he's some sort of moron when it comes to basketball, which he's not. He drafted poorly, though. I mean, Jan Vesely, and I gave you credit for actually remembering one thing that I got right, because usually you only remember the things you get right. But <laughs> well, I they're was, easier because I there's was, so many of them. I was all over Kawhi Leonard. Yes, before you were. That, and I told you Steph Curry would have been up. Either Rubio or Curry would have been fine instead of the trade for Foy and Miller, which really was the worst, one of the worst three deals ever. Yeah. You can say the coaching stuff's the worst stuff. In terms of transactions... You know, the the re-signing of Blatch was ridiculous. The Foy and Miller trade, th- that made no sense. And drafting Jan Vesely, I mean, yeah. he was wowed by measurables and talent and athleticism. Look, Because Jan was an athlete. Yes, yes he was. And now he's, now he's an athlete <laughs> in, in, in another continent. Uh, I think part of the problem in this town, and again, you can count the columnists who wrote for years that Ernie Grunfeld should be fired on one finger in this Hold town. on, let me think who that might have been. Okay. You're a columnist. And part of what's You're... going on here, and, and while Ernie wasn't your friend, your close friend, you have to admit what Ernie did was he knew how to schmooze the reporters. He he called all of them. Oh, he would call. He called. He he, he used call, to call me. Oh, he well then that stopped, didn't that it? That stopped yeah, because I do remember him once saying, "No, nah, I listen. I just don't like your partner." <laughs> <laughs> um, but he there there was some of that. I mean, I, the, and and that's that was smart on his part because it it because it's a human nature. It's a lot harder to rip a guy you like. So was and Ernie you have a relationship? Was Ernie a with. better player? Than a GM. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. A much in, better in Nick. In college or with the Knicks? A much better Nick than he was a general manager. And again, uh, I, I don't even have to go to the transactions. To me, uh, what's the most disturbing, what's most indictable is uh, what he did to at least at least two of his coaches. And we don't know what he did to, to, to Randy Whitman. Whitman. Uh, I mean, I can't. Randy should not, should not have been fired because uh, the guy well, the, who replaced him is not a better coach than Randy the, Whitman. The problem was. No, he's not. No, in that I'll, I'll, I can't tell you how many people you know thought I was completely insane when Randy Whitman got fired and Scott Brooks got hired, and I said that is not an upgrade. You didn't like. You didn't think. 
You didn't think that when Scott Brooks was in Oklahoma City. I didn't. I'll grant and you by another the, thing that you and got by, right. And by the way, I th- Scott is really nice. Yes, again. And by the way, <laughs> and, and I can totally see why one part of the coaching responsibility, and that is to really – Um, have a relationship with your players and have the players have trust in you. He's good at that stuff. He's not – look, there's so many – being an NBA coach is like – what goes into being a great NBA coach is having a great player or two, period. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. And he did have that in OKC, and he got to the NBA Finals. Yes. You know, so – uh, but but in terms of X's and O's, oh my God, Randy Whitman, far beyond. Yeah, I agree. What, I agree with you. And as far as great relationships with his players, from what you and I heard, or at least from what I heard, he didn't have such a great relationship with with at least one of his players early in the season. Who are you talking about? Uh, Brooks. Ra- Brooks. Oh yeah, no, I know. Well, clearly, <laughs> and th- this goes to just sort of the, the dysfunction of their two cornerstone players to yes. a certain degree and you know they were so convinced when they got rid of old marsh that everything would be so much better because marsh and gortat was the problem <laughs> uh no he wasn't the problem either and they actually missed him uh, on the floor this year but hey you know what if ted had just hung on and gotten dwight howard back next year all would have been fine you know what Dwight Howard can come back next year I know. because it's, it's his option. It's a player option. option. Yes. It's a player option. <laughs> oh, my back. Dwight. My back. <laughs> my a, back. Yeah. It's a, the, um, the job itself is, I mean, Ted can describe it in any way he wants to describe it. I, I do, and I'm probably, I don't know that I'm right anymore on this. I don't know what our city is anymore in terms of a sports town because, Really, you've you've got so much dysfunction with the football team. We've seen so much exodus, mass exodus, in terms of interest in the apathy level. You know, even when the Wizards had a couple of those teams here over the last couple of years that you that won a series, and you're like, you know what, they got a shot. And let's face it, if John Wall doesn't get hurt in that series against Atlanta, they're I, in the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I agree that, with that. year. Um, but the um, you know they didn't sell out all of those games and. You know the the the, the game seven t- the, the the Boston series, which was a really entertaining series, that they had a legitimate chance to win. Yeah, you know they really did have a chance to win. Beal was terrible in game two, um, and then phenomenal in game seven. But Wall disappeared in game seven. But they had a chance to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and that's that season too. That Boston series was the first time, like the television ratings and the the crowds, you know, for for the games that year. I mean, I think that game seven did a ridiculous rating. Um, and I and and but they never got it to the next level. They well, needed to. This is bust why through once to the Eastern Conference Finals and play LeBron, and it would have been massive. This is why but whatever they didn't get. There. This is why I said that the first thing Ted needed to do when he bought the team was change the front office because what you're talking about is the cumulative effect that Ted doesn't want to acknowledge of years and years before Ernie even got there. Of of damage done to this fan base, it's not going to change in a couple of playoff appearances. What is, what is the the Wizards fan base? You know, uh, the basketball people who love basketball in this city and lo- and love the NBA, they've had favorite teams and favorite players from outside this market for years. 
I, I mean, that's why like I'm questioning my belief that the Wizards are like this sleeping giant. The NBA's big. It's become massively popular with young people in particular. And if you, uh, my sense is, is if you had a winning NBA team, a team that was contending for a title with a star or two, that it would be a big deal in a city like Washington. I think it would be. I, I think it would I, be. I think, but I think not... it would be. But what's remarkable, and like I've pointed this out, you've had the Bird Magic era the Jordan era, the Shaq-Kobe era, and we're on the tail end, getting to the tail end of the LeBron era. The the NBA has enjoyed all this success in all those years, and the Wizards haven't eaten from that table once. I know, but you know what, Tommy? Um, A lot of teams haven't eaten from that table, you know, over the years. It's the nature of the league, you know, the Atlanta Hawks, the the, the Knicks, the Nuggets. The... No, the Knicks went to an NBA final well, during that true. period. They did. With, they they with ate Patrick. from the table. Uh, but that's, yes. Uh, well, to, to find going back from all, all of those tables set and the Wizards, the Wizards weren't the only team not invited to any table. I mean, but it's a short list. Phoenix. Well, Phoenix was in the oh, NBA Finals yeah, with Barkley. You know, it's a short list. <laughs> Dallas won a title. Hold on, Memphis. But they've only <laughs> been an organization for not as long. New Orleans, Minnesota, Sacramento. Sacramento was at least in the Western Conference Finals with the Weber teams. Um, the Clippers haven't. No, they haven't. You know, um, there you go. the Blazers did. Yeah. You know, they not only won, they not only won, they were in finals. Yeah, they played against Michael. The Nuggets, the Nuggets haven't been able to sit at that table ever. Okay. Like I said, it's a short list, Kevin. I know, but going through every one of those eras, yes, the list is shorter, but if you just take it back through a, a couple of the eras, the list is pretty long. It's hard this this the the Wizards they can hire Tim Connolly they can promote Tommy Shepard they can hire Tim Legler if the if wherever they pick in this year's draft or next year's draft doesn't produce a top five player a guy that within five years becomes like six seven years five years anyway becomes a top five player in the league then we're going to be on to the next guy yes yeah. in, in sixteen years yeah, yes <laughs> probably in sixteen years because Ted's so loyal. But I, I guess my point is, sure, it's a fine job. But again, it's only going to be a, 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 a successful job. Somebody's only going to have success if they're able to figure it out. Because a new general manager is not going to all of a sudden attract free agents. Ted isn't attracting free agents. No, he, I'm sure. He, he thinks he, he can. He thinks he can. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure the whole Durant thing was about Ted selling it. And that, that certainly didn't work. Where where's the quote about him? And um, I might and talking to... about the job, and he 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 did say because I'm paraphrasing and I'm looking for the quote. He did say, you know, one of the reasons it's a great job is because of the incredible and supportive and visionary ownership. Yes, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm glad he said it as ownership because he he wasn't clearly just talking about himself. All of his investors and other you know minority owners. One I'm last sure. one last addendum to this that something that you just talked about. When they went, they, when they took Boston the seven games in that in the uh, semifinals, right? It was a great series. Uh, you could lay that at Ernie Grunfeld's uh, doorstep because what you had was you had a, a guard in John Wall who was totally exhausted. The he had played the fifth most minutes of anybody in the NBA coming off of knee surgery at that point. Remember the season started; they were going to ease him in. They were going to limit his playing time, and then they went two and eight, 
And then Scott Brooks said, we got to play John Wall all the time. So by the time, the Celtics even talked about it after that seventh game. Part of their strategy was they knew Wall was gassed. And there was no option for on the bench all year to spell John Wall. And that's that's you could argue that one of the worst things that Ernie Grunfeld did was supplement the, the players who were effective. I mean, his benches were horrible. Yeah, I mean that was uh, that was the year that they they tried to play Brandon Jennings basically as Wall's backup, and they you know they signed Bogdanovich during that year, and he ended up actually being yeah. very helpful off the bench. But but that's I mean no, the seventh it, it, game it came to, you could argue it came down to Wall just being exhausted. Well, he yeah he what did he 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 shot something horrific in that yeah. seventh and deciding game. It was like you know eight for twenty five or something and. Oh, for six, his last six, whatever it was. I mean, that that series was. John Wall was actually exceptional in those playoffs. Yes, he was. He had he had one of the games in franchise history in the game six closeout in Atlanta in the first round of that series when he went for like forty two, and I, I, it was something ridiculous. Hold on, I'm I'm going to find it because I want the exact final numbers from that game six because I thought it was honestly up there among the top five performances in franchise history and said it at the time 42 points eight assists four steals um, and he scored I think it was 18 of the team's final 22 points to close out uh, Atlanta when they trailed you know late in in the second half Um, but yeah he was terrible in that game seven it hurt him just like Beal's awful series early on in in Boston when they had a chance to to really take over the series um hurt him too. I I just this job by the way, you know, forget what it is from an ownership in a city and all of that. You're coming into an organization or if it's Tommy Shepard in his case, you're staying in an organization whose highest paid player may not have a future because of his injuries. You cannot deal him because of the contract and the injuries. Um, you only have four or five players under contract for next year to start with. It's not a great destination. You did clear up potentially some space um, because you know Parker's deal will go away right. at the end of this year. Um, but who are you going to really attract? And this is my view. I, I I think Bradley Beal is a really good you know score, an elite scorer. He is not an elite player though. But you have Not to, in my view. So you have to trade him right he, before you have to pay him a max contract, or you have to draft, you know, Zion Williamson. <laughs> I mean, that if you want to, if you want to turn the organization around, and it would have nothing to do with the general manager in three months, it would be somehow win the draft lottery and get to pick Zion yeah, Williamson. Yeah, that would that would work. Yeah, that would do it. That would probably do it. And who? And you know what? You might even end up being wrong about Zion because Wall, you know, has not lived up to what everybody thought they were getting in Wall, which was this next great superstar. John Wall at his best and healthiest has been a borderline top 10 to 12 player. So they've never had a Tommy, you have to have a top 5 player. You have to or you can't win the title. I know, I you agree can't even with get you. there. I agree with you. Um, the the last team to do it was that Maverick team. Yeah, the, the, the Maverick team and well, they had a, no, they had a top five. No, it, in what? that in that moment, you could have argued that Dirk was just outside the top five. He wasn't a consensus top five, okay. but he was great. 
He was great. By the way, that's a really good story to read on ESPN.com, the story of how Dirk Nowitzki, how the NBA in Dallas, uh, Donnie Nelson, uh, the son of Don Nelson, became aware of Dirk Nowitzki. I think I read it yesterday on ESPN.com. It's the whole Dirk story on on how how he got recognized from playing in Germany's second division, second tier league (laughs) is where he came from to an NBA first round pick. Um, Anyway, uh, let me do a quick read. Uh, I think I got off pretty easy so far today. Really? I do. Um, let me. I mean, I think I made my point pretty clearly. <laughs> I know what your points were going to be, and I'm, I'm, th- I'm thrilled, but I'm not like really excited about who they're going to hire. I just don't know what it's going to produce. This this franchise is in a difficult spot yes. right now. You know, I mean, t- but, and, and the owner doesn't seem to recognize that. No, he doesn't recognize it. And I think Ted does a lot of really good things as an owner, like the consumer experience in, in his in his arena is first rate. But let's be fair here. The Caps underachieved for years until last year, and they got lucky in that they had the first pick in the draft the year one of the greatest talents in the history of the sport yeah. was available. Yeah. All right, let me uh, get to Window Nation here quickly. Um, Harley, Aaron, Eric, uh, they're great, uh, great company, great entrepreneurs. They've built the fifth largest window company in America. And right now they've got their annual spring cleaning sales event. If your windows are having issues, cracks, they're hard to open, unusual moisture, um, and if, or if you're just looking for new windows because you think your house needs them, call Window Nation today to schedule a free in-home estimate. Window Nation will save you 33% off your entire purchase, window siding and doors. You get upfront pricing, no hidden terms, just 33% off every style of window, house of siding, and all doors, including labor. Plus, for the next two weeks, save even more with 0% interest for five full years on your entire purchase. Purchase that zero percent interest until 2024. Get a jump on your spring cleanup and call Window Nation, where every window is installed by factory trained professionals and guaranteed to be done right the first time. Every window is backed by a company with an A plus Better Business Bureau ranking and over 10,000 positive online reviews. These are the many reasons Window Nation has installed over 475,000 windows in more than 80,000 homes, including mine. Hurry, these off-season savings won't last long. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Uh, all right, let's. I, I want to get to um, an interview here shortly that John Keim did on his podcast with Scott McLuhan yesterday. Um, uh, McLuhan had some interesting things to say about RG3, about Kirk Cousins, and a few other things. Um, John's got a podcast, so listen to that too. Um, but I did want to get your impressions because we haven't talked, and I don't know if you wrote about it, about Harper's Return. Did you write about it? I'm oh, sorry. yeah. Yeah, I wrote about I, it. I haven't read it. I'm sorry. Well, that's that's just typical of you. <laughs> Is it out? Did you send it, email it to me? You no, didn't I, didn't, e- I didn't email it to you. Well, well you, I, usually I read it when you email them oh, to me. I didn't me. email it to you. I figured Can you, you email would just it to read me? it. I guess so. When you email me your columns, I read them okay. immediately because it only takes about two minutes to read, <laughs> which is the best part. Um, what did you think? About what? Bryce Harper's return the other night. I thought it it, it couldn't it, it would be hard to go much worse for the Nationals <laughs> than it did. Now that said, uh I loved 
the booing. Yeah, I thought I thought it was impressive. I mean, it was it, an impressive show of passion for a fan base that generally doesn't show that. And one of the things I kept, I was on Philly radio that morning. Right, you told me. And I said, you know, I don't expect much. You know, I think probably a very civil reaction because the fan base isn't really passionate. You know, they may be loyal, but they're they're, they're not passionate. And they showed me something. I mean, I look. And for people, the, for the altar boys who were offended by the booing. Who was offended? Oh, my gosh. There were some people saying it was low rent. It made it made the Nationals fan base look 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 bad. I mean, my God! Seriously? Yes, I, there was Actually, a lot of that. I think there there was a a small badge of honor there because I wasn't expecting. I agree that level of booing, and he plays for all right. If I think it's ridiculous to consider him to be a traitor, I think that's just right. missing the, the actual facts of of what happened here. But he plays for Philadelphia now. Yeah, like he and and he was this superstar, and he didn't stay here, and he may have wanted to stay here. We'll never know for sure unless you believe every word of Barry's Verluga's column. Um, but I thought it was an impressive display because, you know, uh, it was also not surprising to me that you know after his third at bat, everybody started to exit the stadium. Yes, in the fifth inning because everybody <laughs> said it was the sixth. So I went back shot for shot on the crowd shots. You could see after his third at bat, and he got a base hit. The place, it was cold, and Nats fans don't want to be cold, that's for sure. It was a pretty miserable night. And and I know it was, and the Phillies fans basically were out there shirtless. Well, they (laughs) they had a bus. They couldn't go anywhere. Well, true. So they were bussed out from Philly. But ultimately, the night did turn out to be, it's a 2-0 game, you're leaving the ballpark, and Bryce Harper sticks it up your backside. Yeah, now part of of what happened in that game is illustrative of what's happening with the Nationals right now is in the first inning, Brian Dozier failed to failed to turn a double play on a ground ball. <clears throat> Everyone reached base safely. Scherzer wound up throwing 20 pitches that inning to get out of the inning. That meant you knew they were going to be in the bullpen earlier than they should have been. This bullpen's a problem. Yes, and because of that, you knew that Bryce Harper, when he got a shot at the bullpen, was going was, was to feast on it. So the, 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 the fundamentals, the very thing the Nationals spent all spring working on has, has, has basically destroyed their early seed. They're lucky to have won the two games they've won. I mean, they've had base running errors. They've had fielding errors. They're giving away outs. They're, they're, you know, everything that they profess not to do that they were not going to do anymore. Might be a better they, base running team. They've done just the opposite. Manage the bullpen better, and, have a better bullpen. Well, again, and, and as far as the bullpen, I don't know what's going on with Trevor Rosenthal because I was he, in spring training. He can't get anybody out and, and hasn't yet. And is th- that that's right? Is that accurate? He hasn't gotten one person no, out. No. So I asked Aaron yesterday. At what point? So they they won yesterday. I actually watched the game. And first of all, there was a terrible, um, uh, a very inconsistent strike zone yeah. uh, in that game yesterday for, for the Nats relievers, including Rosenthal, um, by the way. I thought he got robbed on a couple of pitches that looked good. But um, they come back and they win that game. And Martinez afterwards, you know, he, he basically... He was pissed. He was pissed. Said, we're he not, should have been pissed. We won the game, but, I, but we're, we're not playing lucky. well. They were lucky to win that game. They were lucky they, to win they that were, game. What happened was the Phillies' bullpen... Maybe just as bad as the Nationals. So they start before yesterday. They were one and three. They're two and three now. But I said to Aaron, let's just say you get three more of these one and threes, and you're three and nine. 
What's the level in which Martinez is legitimately in trouble? I don't think he's in trouble until May at the very earliest. Well, that's what Aaron said, yeah. May. I, at the very earliest. I just don't think they're, they're going to pull the trigger on somebody. Is he a good manager or not? I, I don't know. I think he is. Like I said, I've told you, I thought what he did last year was remarkable because I thought that team was a lot worse than everyone thought it to be since two of their starters played on one leg you know, the yeah. the entire season. Uh, so to win 82 games, I thought was kind of surprising. But I don't know if he's a good manager. I tell you what, he the two most important thing a manager manager does is manage the bullpen and manage the clubhouse. He's very good at managing the clubhouse. The bullpen is certainly up for debate. But, but right now, so is the guy who put the bullpen together, Mike Rizzo. I mean, the manager is just like Jay Gruden. I'll just coach the de- players they put on the dang field for me. The manager can only bring in who the general manager put together for the bullpen. Uh, the bullpen was not a huge question mark going into the season, but it was a bit of a question mark. Bullpens, I've told you numerous times, are very organic, and they can evolve over the course of a season. Not usually in the first week. I mean, usually in the first week, you don't think, oh, my God, what are we going to do without bullpen? They, they've got a big Trevor Rosenthal problem <laughs> because, because they can't – I don't think they can afford to have him get right here on the major league level because they play all these division games, which are so important. These three games with the Mets they're going to play this weekend, they're important games. Right. These are not just April games. By the way, did you watch the last at bat? With this rookie oh, yeah. null. Yeah, no, who, who's a spitting image of Ryan Zimmerman? Yeah, it looks just like him. But he was shaky. Like, he was shaking. It was such a nerve. You could see how nervous he was. But it was Robertson who could not find the strike zone. So all he had to do was sit there and not swing the bat, and he was okay. Well, you know what was funny? But, I was watching. I, I, was, I was going on with Chad Dukes on 106.7 The Fan after the game. Uh, and we were watching it together. And Noel goes up there. And this guy, and Robertson, had barely proven he could throw a strike so far. Right. You know? So Noel goes up there, and I think he's 2-0 and on him. or so, I don't remember the exact count. And then he swings the bat. And I'm screaming at the TV, are you nuts? <laughs> I mean, this is why I've said some guys are better off going up to the plate without a bat in their hands. Because this pitcher has not proven right. to you he could throw a strike. And you're swinging. I get it. It's your first major league at bat. And you're really eager to take a shot. But the only thing you needed to do was keep that bat on your shoulder and you were going to drive in the winning run. So it, it got me a little bit nuts that he kept swinging. And it got to a 3-2 and two count. By the way, um, on back to Rosenthal for a moment because I just pulled up the play-by-play because I wanted to see if I remembered it correctly from yesterday. He really did. He, did, he, he didn't throw poorly. He had multiple pitches that were in the strike zone that got called balls. He, he, he walked back-to-back guys, Franco and Kingery, walked both of those guys back-to-back. And if you go with you know that pitch uh, diagram, right. he had, uh, in those two at-bats, four pitches in the strike zone called balls. And and even you know Carpenter and FP weren't going nuts, but they were like, man, that looks good to me. Yeah. And they looked good. 
Um, so He's a guy who could have used a little help. He, he needed some help <laughs> yesterday. And then the guy with the long name that barely fits on his jersey came in. Bearclaw. And promptly gave up you know, a, you know a shot to pronounce, McCutcheon. You pronounce that Bearclaw. <laughs> Bearclaw. I mean, that's not what you would think if you read it. Bearclaw. Yeah. Bearclaw. Bearclaw. Yeah, Bearclaw. Yeah, no, I know how to pronounce it. I'm just saying if you looked at the, the spelling, which barely fits on his uniform, you would think Bear Cloth. Yeah. Now, again, that's a guy with a tremendous track record. And and you know, that's what you have to go by. You have to go by what a pitcher's track record is. The right. question mark on Rosenthal is his track record is he hasn't pitched in a major league game since 2017 and didn't pitch at all last year because he was recovering from Tommy John surgery. So his track record's really up in the air. Because, I mean, basically, you have to establish one post-Tommy John. And look, in spring training, first day of spring training, he's throwing 100 miles an hour and, and can't wait to get out there and throw the ball. All right, let's get to these Scott McLuhan comments. Uh, but a quick word for Scentbird. Uh, Scentbird's a luxury fragrance subscription service. It's a way to discover new colognes or perfumes without having to buy the entire bottle. Uh, bottles of perfume and cologne, Tommy, expensive. And if you don't know what you like or what smells good on you, which would be just about anything at this point on you, um, you're not <laughs> typically sure exactly what you want. And in most cases, you have to put out a big expenditure. Well, you don't with Scentbird. Scentbird makes it easy. They've got more than 450 designer brands to choose from for starters. Uh, Tom Ford, Kenneth Cole, Gucci, Burberry, Prada, and more. You choose the cologne you want to try and they're going to send you a 30-day supply. If you're not sure what type of perfume or that you know for your girlfriend or wife that you want or the cologne that you want, they've got user ratings, they've got reviews, you can take a quiz online at scentbird.com to figure out a more personalized recommendation. Here's the offer right now for my listeners only. Get 50% off your first month today. That's only $7.50 for your first cologne or perfume. Go to scentbird.com slash KSDC. Use my code KSDC for 50% off your first month. That's Scentbird, S-C-E-N-T, bird.com, slash K-S-D-C, for you to try your first cologne or perfume for just $7.50. Sign on, smell amazing. All right, uh, John Kime has a new podcast out. I think Bram Weinstein's um, helping uh, John with his podcast. And he had Scott McLuhan on his show uh, yesterday. And there are a couple of things. Uh, I'm going to play a couple of the sound bites that I think most of the audience t- uh, will be interested in hearing. And that is on Kirk Cousins and on RG3. And if we have time, I'll play the one if we have time, we've got as much time as we want. Um, but maybe we'll get to what he said about Jay Gruden as well. Um, but he, he, he did say at the beginning that he has his college scouting service, which multiple NFL teams are using. So he's still working. He is still, you know, uh, evaluating players. He lives in Denver or outside of Denver, evaluating players and, you know, making a business around his evaluation eye, which teams still believe in with Scott. Um, He also implied something, Tommy, that I just wanted to mention because I found it to be interesting that John asked him if he, you know, misses working for an organization or if he thinks he's ever going to work for an organization again. And he said he's had multiple opportunities 
for front office positions, but he said he he implied that the stress of that isn't might not be worth it. He likes what he's doing, working for himself, living in Colorado. His wife helps him with the business as well. And not having that day-to-day pressure of being in an organization, being a voice in an organization. And he didn't say this. So I may be reaching in terms of of what I heard. But what I heard was a guy that we know has had a lot of personal demons and the, the pressure of of these jobs just gets to them, and it ends poorly. Now, and a lot, you know, there are a lot of people, and you probably know these people, and I know these people that sometimes are just better off as lone rangers. Yeah, without the pressure of reporting to somebody, um, being evaluated by people, that kind of thing. I think he's probably better off. Hopefully, you know, he's healthy and, and doing well. But look, I don't want to. I don't want to derail the train. I want to keep the train on the track. But uh, and I again. Uh, on a show with Chad recently, I had this argument where I called Bruce Allen evil. And Chad th- said, that's ridiculous. How do you know he's evil? What do you mean evil? Point, he, and he called me on called me on it. And he said, what, what's he done that's evil? And I said, okay, let's look at the Scott McLuhan hiring and firing. First of all, the quote, the anonymous quote that was planted in the Washington Post story, the hatchet job on, on McLuhan, what was evil enough. But I contend hiring him in the first place was evil because I think Bruce Allen knew everything that you just talked about and pressured to hire a general manager after his infamous were winning off the field postseason speech. Felt pressure to bring somebody in. Yes. And I think he brought in a general manager he knew in that atmosphere would personally fail. I think he knew the ending to this before – before McLuhan even walked into the building. I don't think you're crazy. I do not think that that's crazy. I think it, it's a stretch. It is a stretch. I think it's a stretch. But um, Bruce Allen never wanted to bring anybody in. He felt pressure to do so because of the winning off the field and that terrible you know, early January press conference. Right. Um, and, and he felt like... And remember, the autonomy and the decision-making power that McLuhan... We were led to believe that he was going to have. He never had. He was essentially, for all intents and purposes, the lead guy on the draft more than anything else. Not the lead guy on trades, not the lead guy in free agency, a participant, but the lead guy on the draft. Remember, we had Bruce Allen on the show from the park. You and I, I believe it was you and I, maybe... Uh, do you remember this? It was after they. It was after the Scott McLuhan press conference. Bruce walked into the studio, sat down with us, and I said, "Will he have um, authority? This. A, a, authority over the coaching staff? Will he be able to bring in a new, a new coach if you ever get to that point?" And Bruce yeah. Allen did say, "Absolutely no, not on that, that." That's me. That's me. Yeah, he I did say that. that. Uh, like, and he was a, a little bit offended. By the question, it was almost the beginning, not that we were the beginning, but at the, the questions for Bruce at the beginning, I don't think he realized that people wanted somebody other than him so badly, and it started to, to irk him. Like, he was like, oh my God, this guy's going to get all yeah. the credit, you know, and uh, he no, he's not. I do believe, though, I don't know if that was intentional. I don't think it's a reach in terms of the hire and the expectation that it would fail. I definitely believe this to be true that they they uh, they had somebody in the organization 
Well, we know. It was an anonymous senior executive in the organization that smeared Scott McLuhan in that post story about his, in, in, in his lower rent way as you can ever imagine. This yeah. was a guy that was troubled, had issues. You know, they, they weren't making up that part. I know that personally. They weren't making up the fact that this guy w- had major issues there for that last year, you know, in terms of staying sober. But to smear him the way they did in that post story really was an indication of just how mean-spirited and insecure they were because they didn't want to look like they had failed. They, I know. Was, they wanted to make sure that everybody knew that it was his fault, that he was a drunk and he was showing up to work drunk and showing up to games you know, loaded, and they wanted everybody to know it when they could have just kept their mouths shut and said, and by the way, helped him. Yes. Gotten him help. Yes. Uh, but that's not the kind of people they are. No, they're, they're not that. They're not helpful. So let's get back to McLuhan's. Yeah. Interview, okay. So uh, on, on, with John. So Tom. anyway, I did want to point that out that I thought well, it was interesting that he talked about. You know, I don't want that pressure. You yeah, know, because yeah. to me that speaks to perhaps yes. one of the root causes or a cause for the problems that he's had in every place he's been. All right. Um, this first piece of sound, I. F- I'm gonna. We're just gonna play it. I'm gonna let you comment on it, and then I will as well. But John asked him. He had made this comment earlier in the interview about how Kirk was Jay's kind of guy. Kirk was. They were talking about Rosen in particular, and then it led into Kirk was his kind of guy. Which, by the way, we've been told here for the last year that Jay and Kirk had a terrible relationship at the end and Jay wanted him gone. And I do know that their relationship soured. But I also believe that Jay did like Kirk. Um, And anyway, so he's asked uh, about Kirk by John again to follow up about why it didn't work out for Kirk Cousins in Washington. And here's what McLuhan said. And going back to what you were saying about how, you know, the kind of quarterbacks Jay likes and a little bit like Kirk. And I know it's not all of the Kirk package because there were obviously frustrations. Are you surprised that it didn't work out differently here with him? And and that he let it, yeah, and that he was able to go. Well, personally, when I was a GM, I I wanted to keep him. I I, I, I wanted to do a a long-term deal and have him in-house because... Again, the whole package. Is, 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 is he a, a pretty pro bowler? Probably not. But he's good enough to win with. You know, we did the same thing in Seattle with Hasselbath. He's good enough to win with. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the thing about Kirk that was so great was his personality. He's so humble, but he's so competitive. And players respected him. You know, and that's so important in the locker room. That's so important on the practice field. You know, and it's, uh, you know, power to him, what he got was great, you know, but yeah, I wish if, if, if I was still there, I, I'd go Kirk be my quarterback. So that was McLuhan talking about Kirk. Let, let me, you're, you're hesitating, so. Well, because it's, uh, nothing surprises me there. Well, here's what surprises me. It doesn't surprise me, but I'm glad he said it because we just talked about the smear campaign that the organization put forth on McLuhan on his way out of town. Um, 
they tried to do the same thing to Cousins yes, on the did. way out to talk about how bad of a teammate he was and how no one respected him. And yet, and I pointed this out multiple times, you know, last summer and early in the year, that, you know, the the team captain, the leader on the team, Trent Williams, multiple times went out of his way to say, that should be our quarterback. That's the guy we have to bring back. God, we, you know, I hope he comes back. And I'm sure that Kirk, like other quarterbacks, had some issues with people like Pierre Garcon along the way. But remember, Pierre, Pierre wanted Kirk over RG3, desperately yes. lobbied for it. Um, and Deshaun Jackson probably had some issues with Kirk. He also had issues with RG3. But I was always under the impression when Kirk was here that he was respected in the locker room. He may not have been a natural leader necessarily. Um, but that he was respected and that people thought that he could do the job. And what you got when he, you know, was no longer a part of the potential future is you got a mini smear campaign. There was a story that came out, um, and I forget, I can't even remember where it came out, that Kirk had demanded that the cheerleaders' skirts not be not as short as they were. I don't believe that at all. Um, I think that was part of of a mini smear campaign. Um, it, it was out, you know, uh, um, the, at, at places like the Hall of Fame discussion for Jacoby. Right. That Kirk was a terrible teammate, not respected at all. I don't, I don't think that that was true. I'm sure there were probably players that had an issue with him, but it was not an overriding problem in their locker room as they wanted to make you believe that. And I think McLuhan, you know, look, I don't know if we take McLuhan at his word, but I think he had a sense too of what Kirk was in that locker room. He was respected more than he wasn't. Yeah. He, he, I I think you're right. I think you're right on, on all counts. And people forget that Kirk built up relationships inside that locker room and a lot of respect for the way he he handled himself publicly with the RG three stuff, I mean, I look, I I I I had conversations with Chris Thompson, who talked about how Kirk would stay after practice and and work with the work with Jamison Crowder, work with Chris Thompson when he wasn't the starting quarterback, you know. So he had built up a reservoir of respect before he even took over as a starter. Now, has he become a bit insufferable himself? on social media here over the last year in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, he has. He has. Um, I, I'm not going to deny that at all. Um, but, you know, and, and the, I think the, the other thing that would surprise people is that that Scott essentially said that Kirk was Jay's kind of guy, especially when he said competitive, humble and competitive. Um, I think a lot of people felt like he wasn't competitive enough. He was humble. He was plenty humble as the quarterback here. Um, but... But again, whatever. It's almost like the Bryce Harper thing. It's like I, I, it's revisionist history for people to like view him as someone who didn't, you know, chose to go elsewhere. He didn't have a choice to stay here. I'm not saying he would have with Sean McVay gone. Once he was gone, I think the, the die had been cast. But they never made him an offer that he could accept. That's the that's the part of you know the after. Kirk left story that I just don't understand why it's such a disconnect for people. It's so connected. He was offered uh, $35 million less than he got eight months later in the on the open market. Why, why would you possibly have an issue with somebody saying, you know what, I can get a lot more from an organization who, by the way, is going to embrace me 
a yes. bit more. Um, but anyway, uh, that was an interesting part of it. And then how about this, what he said? Uh, John Kime asked him about Robert Griffin III. And Robert Griffin III recently said, it may have been yesterday, that the Jags tried to trade for him twice. Did you see this story? No. RG3 um, yesterday said that... I guess he wants to compete for a starting job. Yes. Which he's not going to have the, the opportunity to do. That's not why Baltimore signed him to a two-year deal. They signed him to a two-year deal to back up Lamar Jackson because he is a Lamar Jackson type of player. Right. Um, and so they don't have to change the offense for their backup. Um, but uh, RG3 said yesterday that uh, Jacksonville tried to trade for him twice. No one's... Uh, backed up that story necessarily. He said that they tried to trade for him twice uh, last year during the preseason and right before the trade deadline, Um, but uh, it turned out that they went after Nick Foles in the offseason instead of me, RG3. Anyway, getting back to McLuhan. Uh, Kime asks him about whether or not he thinks RG3 will ever start, will ever be a starter in the NFL again. Another former Redskins quarterback was here when you got here, signed back with Baltimore, RG3. Do you think he could be a starter again? No. Why not? Anticipation, instincts, um, leadership. There you go. Is that good enough? <laughs> Is that, <laughs> that good enough? So that was uh, McLuhan. What about penmanship? Yeah, that was McLuhan <laughs> on RG3. Um, the, oh, uh, my gosh. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that's 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 an F on three out of the five boxes. Well, I mean, apparently Jacksonville wanted him to be a starter and tried to t- trade for him <laughs> twice gosh. to either back up Bortles or compete with Bortles last year. Um the last thing that he said um, that I wanted to play is his comments about Jay Gruden. He was asked whether or not he thinks Jay Gruden is a good coach by John. Going back to Jay Gruden, can this team win with Jay as the head coach? Yes. And Jay's we, a good head coach. Why do you say that? Because I was around him every day, pretty much. <laughs> no, I was pretty much every day. Right. He, uh, he, 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 he gets the idea not just the standpoint of coaching. He's really good at the players, but he also is tough enough to get after him when he wants to. Um, he's a really good evaluator. He, he, he's the best I've been around. Really? I've been around Holmgren, Pete Carroll, you know, Mike Nolan, Mike Singletary. He's the best I've been around because it, it's important to him. You know, he, he understands. No, but they can, they can definitely win with him. Interesting what he said about Jay Gruden as an evaluator, the best he's been around. He, he wasn't saying the best coach he's been around when he co- compared him to Holmgren and some of the others. He said from an evaluating standpoint is what he was saying. And I've heard people say about Jay, he's a very good evaluator of talent. The problem well, that, is... That would explain how his voice is so diminished now when it comes to picking talent. It's barely heard. Well, I mean, I, I'm not sure what to believe anymore. I think he's more involved this offseason than he's been. Um, but, you know, as, as it relates to, you know, almost any position, but certainly quarterback, I'd much rather have Jay Gruden in that organization right now making the decision on the quarterback than Bruce Allen. Much, yeah. much more. And, and that's not the way it's actually No, it's worked. not. You know what's interesting? One, one, another thing that McLuhan said is that he, he has the ability 
to be tough on the players. I think if you ask DJ Swearinger, he might have a different opinion about how <laughs> yeah. tough Jay Gruden is on the players. Took him seven you know, threats uh, before he backed it up. Uh, by the way, real quickly, um, he mentioned uh, Josh Doxson. He's still, he's still a believer in Josh Doxson. Um, he thinks the, the money for Landon Collins was not smart money, thinks it was too much for a safety, what he calls an in-the-box in safety. And he said in this particular draft, there's only one quarterback worthy and he, he he wouldn't say specifically because he's selling that information right. yeah but basically if you had listened to the conversation it's Kyler, Kyler Murray. Murray he believes in Kyler Murray that's it he likes Josh Rosen liked him a lot coming out um, and thinks he would be a good fit uh, for Jay Gruden's offense listen to the whole uh, interview on John Kimes podcast um, which you can get anywhere um, that you get a podcast. Uh, it was well done, and it was probably, I don't know, 35 minutes in length, Aaron, something like that? 40 minutes. 40 minutes in length. Um, Bram uh, produces it, and Bram participates in it as well. Um, so Sort of so like a drop that. in a bucket compared <clears throat> to this podcast. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one other thing that I wanted to talk about, and actually McLuhan was asked um, by John about it as well, and that is this Russell Wilson ultimatum yes. of getting a new deal by, by uh, April 15th. I will tell you that McLuhan said that he, and he's a big Russell Wilson fan, obviously, he was in Seattle, um, but he said it's wrong. Like, as great a guy as Russell Wilson is, the organization right now is dialed in on the draft. He's under contract. They can franchise him. He he, he can't just leave, you know, uh, when his contract runs out. But he said he he was very surprised and disappointed that somebody like Russell Wilson would put that ultimatum on the team right now. And I wonder, like, where is it coming from? He didn't necessarily know. He was very surprised. Where is it coming from? Does he the, want to get dealt? The, this apparently wasn't out of nowhere. Apparently this is just getting reported now, but this is something that he had said months ago. What does he want, though, out of this? Does he want that he wants the new deal now, or does he want to get dealt? What's the motivation behind the current deadline? Because, it's, it's, by the way, these, these deadlines, so if they come to him on July 1st and yeah. say, hey, we, we're going to give you the biggest deal in the history. No, Is he no, not going no, to accept it? No, I'm sorry. Too late. <laughs> Bit Too artificial. Late. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if the Seahawks are smart, they call us bluff on this this deadline. Thing. I guess. Yeah. That's probably how they should yeah. handle it. Yeah, but but I would want to, if I were the Seahawks, and like you said, they can extend this for a while, uh, I'd want to keep Russell Wilson. Oh, God, yes. Okay. Yeah, that that of course, said, of course. I want to keep him. Yeah, I mean, I don't. This guy is a baller winner. Yeah. Period. He he has to be in he, your organization, he, and I, it may cost you a lot of money, but he will make people around him better. Yeah, I'm I'm sure he wants you know the biggest deal in the history of the league, that kind of thing. Do you know what the franchise tag would be? And I believe it would be twenty twenty. I think it's thirty, 30. million. I, I think it's more than that for him. Is it? Is it more than that? I thought I saw saw, saw I thought I thought I saw somebody tweet out that it was well, a, last year. If, thirty if, million dollars. If Kirk had played with the Redskins last year, it was going to be twenty five something. I 26? think twenty five or twenty six million would have been for Kirk last year. Yeah. No, I, maybe more. Kirk's going to make thirty million in twenty twenty. That's where you start with Russell Wilson. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the the contract, what was the Matt Ryan deal? Here are the contracts. Here are the recent contracts. All right, Aaron Rodgers 
the the deal he signed the the hundred and thirty four million dollar deal was for an average annual of thirty three point five per year. Matt Ryan was at thirty, and that was shortly after Kirk signed the deal that averages out to be twenty eight. So you're going to have to get Russell Wilson a deal that tops Rogers' deal. Is my I'm guessing that it's going to have to be a deal that's somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty three to thirty five million dollars yeah, per year. It's going to have to be a record setting deal, even if that record lasts for just five minutes, which they only seem to do these days in the NFL. The other portion of that that will be important to him, I'm sure, is Matt Ryan's fully guaranteed part of his deal is the most ever at $94.5 million. So you're probably going to have to guarantee Russell Wilson more than 94.5. But to your point, I know that there seems to be this recent infatuation with rookie quarterback contract deals. That's great. It, it's awesome. If you can find the rookie quarterback deal or the, the, the young quarterback on a rookie deal that can win a Super Bowl, that is a real difference maker, that's great. The problem is one out of every four is even serviceable. Yeah, Three out of the four that are on rookie deals aren't worth anything more times than not. So if you have a guy like Russell Wilson and you got to, I, I think you got to pay Russell Wilson. He's a difference maker. I think he, you do. He's a difference maker too, in a way in which like Joe Flacco, when he got his big deal after a Super Bowl, isn't Russell Wilson literally can run around and make plays that win games, Yes, you know, with an average supporting cast Flacco in Baltimore needed the supporting cast, which he really didn't have the last few years, including changeover in, in coaching staff, you know, and the offensive coordinator front, talent, etc. You know, if you've got a guy like Russell Wilson, you pay him. I I can't imagine that somebody would be thinking so far outside the box to think, you know what, we're not going to tie up that much cap space in Russell Wilson. We loved him on his rookie deal. We loved him in, on this last deal. I think we can find another one in the draft and pay him very little. That's crazy but, talk. But that goes against the trend. I mean, I mean, the trend is the, to let these guys walk. The discussion trend yes. is to, hey, you know, let's draft three or four guys and or draft two or three and have one of them be the guy on a rookie deal. Right. Okay, well, you still got a hit on the guy. Yeah. That's the problem. That position is much more missed than hit. So if you've already hit what you did, you got to pay him. I think, I don't know, I, I the way... My inclination is to pay the man. I think you pay Russell Wilson. I think you pay him. What else do you have for me today? I got nothing else for you, boss. Nothing? No. Nothing, boss? Nothing, boss. Don't call me boss anymore because we know who the real boss is in this relationship. <laughs> I do what I'm told. Um, all right, that's it. Uh, the the Wizards tried to win another game last night, which is mind-boggling to me. Stop doing that. <laughs> Just lose it. Because really, the only answer is Zion Williamson. Yes. That God. is the only. Wouldn't that be amazing? Be unbelievable. They have a chance. They're going to be in the lottery. That would I'd be like amazing. him to, to lose more games to increase I think their they've odds. got like a 5% chance at this point. Oh, I didn't ask you about the AAF. Weren't you into it a little bit or not? Uh, you know, here's the thing. I like new leagues that start up. I know. I, I, I love Maverick, new leagues. I So I like the idea, but I thought it was incredibly arrogant to think that you can start a new football league in the atmosphere we're in right now in terms of, of the sport of football. 
I think Vince McMahon, is, the XFL is Vince McMahon's Moby Dick. It's his white whale. I mean, I think he's going to go down with it like Ahab for the second <laughs> time. Just but sold I, another $200 million in stock to pay I, for I, it. I know, but I, I, I compared starting a football league now to deciding tomorrow you've got 100, 100 acres of land in Virginia, I'm going to be a tobacco farmer. <laughs> right. So, um, so I thought it was destined to fail, and I thought it was just a little bit arrogant uh, to think that you could start one that's successful. And ironically, this is the second failed league for an Ebersole family right. member. Yeah. Dick Ebersole was partners in the first XFL uh, with Vince. With Vince McMahon. And his son, Charlie, uh, was the guy behind the AAF. And I wish it would have succeeded. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I, I, I think it's cool when you have new leagues. I think it's the more sports options, the better I say. I know, but it also just speaks to this incredible, you know, um, stranglehold that the NFL has and college football too, to a certain degree has over sports fans in this country. But it is a, let me tell you something as Ted Leonsis would say, watch out for that arena football league, buddy. It's growing. And, but it, it was also way too <laughs> presumptuous to think that the legalization of sports betting would somehow be you know, the launch pad for a new football league. It just isn't. People, I mean, I, I think the legalization of sports betting in so many ways is so overrated. It, it, it presumes that you haven't been able to bet on sports. Yes, it's it does. crazy. Um, but anyway, the, uh, the, the NFL and the rhythm of the NFL in the fall – and then the the off season rhythm that you get into with free agency and the draft, and then you get a couple of months off before you get geared up. It's what everybody seems to be satisfied and happy with, you know. Like I don't really need to watch games in March. I'm watching free agency in March. I don't need to see games in April because the draft is coming up in April. And I know the ratings weren't terrible necessarily. I was going to say there there was fan interest. A little bit, but it's not enough. It's not enough to sustain what is an Football incredibly is expensive, expensive operation. Right. A very expensive yeah. operation. So. On the other hand, Steve Spurrier got to coach again. Yes. And should win a championship. They should award him a a, a post Were they undefeated? They were undefeated. Uh, yeah. What, what, 4-0, 3-0, no, how think many weeks? 7-0 or yeah, something. Did they get like, seven weeks of this? They got seven weeks. I and... didn't watch one minute of it. <laughs> I, and I, I don't know that there are a lot of people dissimilar from me. I mean, I'm the, the biggest football fan there is. I had zero interest in following this thing. And, Tommy, the USFL, I bet it like crazy. Like, I do remember being in college. The USFL, the USFL had Herschel Walker. I know. And, and Doug Flutie. Stars. And Kelvin Bryant. Yes. And stars. And it still wasn't like you were watching every game. But but if you were like me in college with a gambling problem, you bet the hell out of the, <laughs> out of, out of the uh, LA Express with Steve Young every once in a while. Um, all right. Uh, you've got a final four pick? Because uh, by the time you get back here, it'll be champion. The I'm championship will Virginia. be over to win it all. Yeah, uh, that against who? Who are they going to play? Michigan State or Texas Tech? Texas Tech. Okay, Virginia over Texas Tech. Um, all right, see ya. All right, thanks, boss. Aaron. Thanks to Tommy. Have a great day. <laughs>